Ladies and gentlemen, you tuned into another episode of the Rap Lab. It's your boy, the motherfucking candy man, the ALFRE to the D. It's your boy, T.O. What's the dealio? And it's your boy, QG. And uh, if, if things sound a little funny, you know, uh, it's coronavirus season, so we all in separate locations for the very first time. Uh, about to talk to y'all real quick for today's episode. And um, for all of y'all out there who's uh, afflicted by coronavirus or just driving crazy being locked down in the house, we uh, we sympathize with y'all. And that's why y'all still getting another episode of Rap Lab, The Grind Don't Stop. You already know. And uh, today's topic, but well, before we get into today's topic, uh, don't forget, check us out on uh, Instagram at Rap Lab Pod. Um, you got any questions you want us to answer on air, subjects you think we might want to, you want us to talk about, hit us at raplabpod at gmail.com. And uh, our topic today, T.O., why you don't tell the people what we're going to talk about today? Well, some of y'all may remember that one part of the episode we talked about 96 versus 98. Now, despite Which we that, won, by the way. Yes, we did. We celebrated. But we still got to... <laughs> I know, Al. But we still got to talk about another specific year in 1994. Now, when we talk about that year, some of y'all may know what acts will come up immediately off the back so we had few uh people who had let's see they took it they just took everything to a new level you know as far as rap goes you know we're changing the industry now especially when we're coming from the times of rock kim and the big daddy canes and the coogee raps and of course you got to go way way back you know before that even melly mel the grandmaster flash and the furious five and you know changes generation 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 so a lot of things that a lot of people may know around 1994 and then there's a lot of things that people may not remember of the year of 1994 and there's a lot of things that really go hand in hand when it comes to the year of 1994 yeah go next which i got well um when it comes to 1994 i think firsthand we definitely have to talk about 
the emergence of Nasty Nas. That is a pivotal part in 1994. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, with him and Queensbridge, Queensbridge was left for dead after the Bridge Wars. Like, people, people thought that the Bridge was over. When you think back at that, 1985 to 1990 was when the war was really going on between MC Shan and KRS. And not only that, you had Brooklyn take shots at Queensbridge. You had a lot of other MCs come out of the woodwork and just diss the entire hood. And we, you know, you didn't just have Shan. You had Craig G. You had Tragedy Gaddafi. You had Roxanne Shante. You had Poet hold it down and really try to hold it down for the borough. And there was a long gap in between, and you know, yeah, definitely. I'll yeah, and talk I, about I, I was, I was just about to say that, like after, after the whole bridge wars ended, um, you wasn't really hearing nothing about Queensbridge, and like you said, um, Roxanne Shante, MC Shan, Craig G, and even Marley Marl as a producer, they all were like inactive, um, in the early to mid '90s. And matter of fact, um, I think Nas was one of the first to usher in this new breed of of Queensbridge rappers. So you had uh, Nas, you had Big Noid, um, Mob Deep, even though Prodigy is from Hempstead, but but Queensbridge claims him. Um, right. Cormega, um, yep, yeah, CNN, so, CNN, Lakey the Kid. So oh, yeah. like Nas was one of the first, and like I think it's right, rightfully, rightful to say that um, Nas brought Queens Queensbridge back to rap prominence. You know what I mean? Because exactly. like you said, they they were left for dead. You know the thing is, when when you when you look at Queensbridge and and y'all right on one thing about the whole bridge, the bridge wars, or I'm sorry, the wars and how you know the whole thing came out with the bridge is over, but it's let's go back before even Illmatic, like after the bridges wars, let's go to that one song. <laughs> you know the you're talking about. The Come on, man, my man, the main the, on the main source. Yes, on that first verse, my man Nas just came out just blasting. 1991. Right, it's a trifle. Come on now. My man just went yeah, on, yeah. on. It was and, different. And it then was we, something we, special. And then when you look at it, you're like, who the hell is this guy? Like, you, I understand, you know, Fatal had a good verse, Akinelli and all this stuff. But I'm pretty sure everybody was going after that first verse. Like, whoa, who the hell was that? on the first verse so yeah absolutely so when you look at that it's like damn this guy's nasty like a motherfucker that is nasty now and you know from 92 to 93 was when he was working on illmatic and he was in such high demand that you know mc search is responsible shout out to nas is where he is yeah man like he went straight into the office they would not let him leave there was like you're not leaving until we get a deal for Nas. This is Sony Columbia we're talking of, man. Yeah. Well, yeah. Once he once he got in there. And the first time after, you know, Live at the Barbecue, he was on Back to the Grill, which is the MC Search record. Mm-hmm. And then he, he released Halftime. You guys yep. remember he released Halftime on the Zebrahead soundtrack. Zebrahead. And that really... That opened up the door. Like he was like, "Who is this kid? Like this is incredible." Now, now he's now he's getting the shine off a of solo act now because we saw him on the we first heard him on the verse. Now this is a test. Like, all right, let's get a little solo act for this man. Halftime, what a uh, what a song. <laughs> and Al, you could touch on this. At that time, the West Coast was on top of the world. Like the East Coast was just waiting for the resurgence. Because what did you have coming out of the West at the time? Well. Uh, 
as far as 1994 and and the preceding year 93, Ice Cube was still big on the charts. Um, yes. Death Row was running the place with uh the Chronic and and uh, Doggy Style coming out in back to back years. So yeah. like, I hate to say it like this, but like the East Coast fell off. Like all the major records was in the West because look at the albums that that came out with um in the year prior and even a little bit before that. You had the Chronic, you had Doggy Style. Um, you had the Predator, which e- which even though it's not Ice Cube's best album, was still highly successful. Um, that produced the Predator produced one of the uh, most popular Ice Cube songs uh, Ooh, wow. ever. Ooh, wow. Oh yeah, so uh, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, like it was like the East Coast was like on a on on life support at the time. I will go out on a limb and say, um, I completely agree. Yeah, like this, no. this, yeah, this brought back the revival of New York rap. We needed it, and his wordplay, his poetry, his depiction of the inner city. And, and this is why I say Nas not only saved Queensbridge, but this put an impact in '94 because we didn't, we had poetry a little bit in Kane and on Rock Kim, but Nas took poetry and motion of lyrics to another new level now. Yeah, and, and prior and to I, him, prior okay. to him, we had Woo, we had Woo come out. Yep. You know, prior to him, which was great, but you needed that solo act. You needed that one person. But go ahead, I'll talk about that. No, but and then and then here is here's the thing though. It's like and then you look at like all the successful popular mainstream records of the time. So like you had nothing but a G thing. Um you had gin and juice, you had um uh it was uh it was a good day. A lot of a lot of like the West Coast was running the charts at the time, so I mean, um, and then even in 93 prior, Tupac had I Get Around. So yeah. it's keep your, the, uh, keep your head up. Yeah, Keep Your Head Up was 93. So in the year prior and even yeah. the year before that, like the West, the West was running stuff. And like the East Coast was dead because remember in 94, um, not only just Nas, but you had a resurgence of of musical acts come out of the East. Not just Nas, but Nas is one of the pivotal ones. Like look at look at ninety four for example right, um of course you had Nas's Illmatic, uh you had the whole uh which we'll get into in a little bit but Bad Boy started to become a thing, um with the Big Mac uh I, I know y'all remember that marketing scheme where uh where it was uh, a good one where Puffy had the Big Mac carton and it was uh right. you, on right. one end of the carton it was a Craig Mac album and on the other end it was Ready to Die. That's so how they got the deal. Yeah, that's how exactly. they got the deal. It was a good marketing strategy. So, so 1994 was a was an interesting time, and I think that's the year that jump started the East getting back into things. You know what I mean? And like, yeah, the East. You know what it is? Also, around that time period, like you had like all the successful artists of the 80s putting out albums in the early 90s, and they just wasn't hitting. Like MC right. Shan had an album in '93 that didn't go nowhere. As much as I love LL Cool J, 14 shots to the dome wasn't you can't compare that to radio bigger and deafer or mama said knock you out so it's just like a lot of these east coast guys that we loved in the 80s and even before and even like before 94 they just wasn't it wasn't hitting and y'all know my famous phrase nobody was checking for them yeah so so but let's 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 deep dive into illmatic real quick Oh, boy. Uh, you had every major producer you could think of at that time you be a too. part of that keep rock L.E.S. Large mm-hmm. Pro and of mm-hmm. course the only Primo, which we will get to him later on. Oh, um, you 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 forgot a name. 
um, T.O. Uh, Q-Tip also did production on uh, Illmatic, too. Oh, I yep, the one. He was one of the oh you did say Tip. Okay. Yep, and, yep. And, and, and that's the funny thing. Like, out of all these cats on the East in the 90s, I would say the only one that had any bit of success was uh, Tribe Called Quest. Everything they did charted and, and got either gold or platinum. So they was like the one consistent, but dudes from the West wasn't checking for a Tribe Called you, Quest because they, they didn't get the vibe. You well, know what to think about that time. album. Go, 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 Now you go. No, uh, uh, what I was saying was all those producers came together off the strength of Large Pro because Nas is Large Pro's protege. And whatever records they were doing, he would let Premier hear it. He would let Q-Tip hear it. He would let LES hear it and be like, oh, man, like just on the strength of what Nas was able to bring, that made them step up and be like, you know what? We're going to give this kid our best work because he is nice. You know what I mean? And they let Rakim hear it. He was herald the second coming of Rakim. That's a lot of pressure on a 19, 20, 21-year-old kid. You know what I mean? So... And he was able to to take that in there and use it and weather the storm and just come out with a classic album. And not not, not to mention, uh, Rakim was still uh, he he and Eric B were still together at that time. Later on that year, they would split, but around the time of Elmatic, um, their last album was was on the horizon. So, and uh, Rakim was still um, Rakim was still well, actually no, their last album was ninety two, but they hadn't officially split yet. But right. Yeah, yeah, but but Rakim was still going strong, so yeah, that's a that's a lot of pressure. But um, T.O., you wanted to say something, so uh, go ahead, sir. Yeah, yeah. Well, like y'all already like I already mentioned, because once that whole thing of Illmatic came, like I said, number one, it, it brought more life back to Queensbridge. Al, you said this a few minutes ago. This was on life support. It was, but when Nas came back, um, oh, I see the Illmatic as his debut. Oh my God! First of all. Nas is the only Nas, only you will be the one to be like, I don't know how to start this song off. And they just go freaking <laughs> off on the damn song. Like <laughs> he just kept going. And then I remember oh, Primo man. said he laugh. was rapping and then he looked up. He was like, Is that good? He's like, Why'd you stop? Like, you crazy, man. Keep going, man. That was crazy. Like, you know, Nas was just going off with what he wrote, and everybody was just sitting there so in shock and impressed with his wordplay and how he was original and he was different. And at the same time, he loved his influences. Like he carried the hood on his back. You heard him shout it out on the album before the BDB conflict with MC, you know, with uh with MC Share. By the time Shante, you know, this the real rock said, he was telling you he was there while all this was going on. He was coming up at the time. And he represented and he gave it up for his neighborhood and he shouted them out. He let he let them know out the jump. And and and, 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 and is like one of the best albums that you can't skip, man. Come on now, represent. No, it, one yeah. love, the world is yours. Um, uh, memory lane. Come on now, man. This you is, know, you know what the crazy part is, fellas. Look how long it took for the album to go to two million. Mm. It went gold initially, and you would think with an album like that, it should have sold more. It hit the two million mark close to the millennium, which is astounding. And you know what the funny part is? I'm glad you mentioned that whole thing because there's a future episode we discussed that we're going to um, talk about. And we're going to talk about him and his reaction of why. But we'll get to that next time. So the thing is, with Nas, Nas, we, we, we got to give Nas his flowers. Like, I don't care. I don't care if they did already, but we need, he needs more. Because I agree. I'm going to go out on a limb here. 
Mm. And I get maybe y'all tell me if I'm wrong, but in uh compiling my research, I came to a conclusion that there are five definitive rap albums that brought the East Coast back in this time period, you know, mid mid nineties, right? Okay. I have Illmatic on that list along with Ready to Die, Enter the mm-hmm. Wu Tang, Legal Drug mm-hmm. Money by the Lost Boys, and the Infamous by Mob Deep. And I think I think as anybody who is a fan of East Coast rap, those five albums are very, very, very important to the culture. I think I think you should add one more. What's up? The score by the Fugees. You know that's hmm, I know we we supposed to be talking about ninety four on this episode, right. but but like I don't really like some people don't consider the Fugees like. How do I want to word this so I don't offend nobody or piss nobody off? But like, because if we're talking about the golden age of the East Coast and the resurgence for the East Coast, I think like, that I think they, the they score don't... should definitely be in there. Debatable. I mean, the score is a classic album. Debatable. Yeah. It's... But we 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 saved that one for uh for a future a future debate. But um. Yeah, but the ones you chose were very good. I especially the legal drug money that doesn't get enough credit it deserves. Oh that, yeah. To to me, that's the top five albums. If you want to talk about albums that brought the East Coast back from the dead in that in that time period, you gotta put that on there. You know which record a lot of people don't talk about that may have put a little bit as a little start slam by Onyx. Yeah, that's a powerful record. But steering back to to Illmatic. For for a second, um, yeah, like, and the funny thing is, Nas was very slept on because I don't know if y'all know the story, but they tried, they brought Nas to Russell Simmons, MC yeah. Search, did, and and <laughs> yeah. Ru- and Russell Russell didn't sign him. Yeah, that, Russell is said he, Is that the time when they say you know he sound like G rap and all that stuff? Or yeah, because no? he had he had the demo "I'm a Villain" out at the time, and he sounded a a, a lot like Cool G, and you know. Russ was like, oh, G-Rap doesn't sell records. He sounds too much like G-Rap. <laughs> That's Russell. Good job. good going, Russell. You fucked that up. <laughs> yeah, imagine if not. Well, Nas later uh, later on in life ends up in on Def Jam. He's still on Def Jam and Mass Appeal to this day. But yeah. at the time, I mean, imagine Illmatic. But you know what? Also, if Illmatic would have been on Def Jam, who knows? It might have been. It might have sounded like a completely different album. That's true. But um, large so large so so the year is 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 ninety three. So this is let's set the background for the listeners. The year is ninety three. Nas is this young kid off Queensbridge. Locally, he he's setting the world on fire. He was on um live at the barbecue. Large professor who at the time was still in main source was like his number one backer. He's shopping him around trying to get him a deal, and you know they finally they finally get a they finally get a deal, um on Sony slash Columbia. And then he starts recording Illmatic. And um, we mentioned the, the long list of legendary producers that worked on that album. So let me, let's go around. Let's, well, we're not in the same room, but let's go around in a circle. I'll start off with you first, QG. Um, name your favorite, your your number one favorite track off Illmatic. Tell us why. And then tell us your, your initial thoughts when you heard the album for the first time. It ain't hard to tell. Produced by Large Professor. 
Why not? I mean, with the Michael I mean, Jackson listen, sample. Oh my! I'm a big Michael Jackson fan. So when I heard that, 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 I was like, oh man, this is fire. So once I heard that song, and then I heard the way Nas was rapping over it, I said, this is incredible, you know. And I didn't, I didn't get into Illmatic until later on the album, but I heard the singles first. And when I heard that one, I said, this is the, the most incredible song I've ever heard at that time. And the way that it all flowed together and it, it, it was it was different. It was unique. And again, hearing the Michael Jackson sample and Nas rapping over it, it was a match made. Oh, yeah, I'm, I definitely agree with you on that one. Um, T.O., same question to you. And then I'll go ahead and give my my input. It, it's it's really tough to tell. Like, I know y'all might. You say uh, it ain't hard to tell. It's really tough to tell. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> he worded that together. You know the thing is, I know y'all might say he's gonna say the world is yours, Pete Rock. That's my second favorite. One love is my favorite. Ah, okay, okay, okay. What makes that your favorite? Of course, that's a Q-tip production. First of all, what a production by Q-tip on that song. But you know what? Here's what I think about Nas. Nas. Um, rapping on that particular song was just so great. When I heard him rap on that song, like the first verse, it was so good. The second verse, it was definitely good. And then that third verse, it's like the man didn't want to stop. He just kept going. You thought New York State of Mind was bad? That third verse on One Love, my man was just going off without stopping. And, and picking and up on course, that, yeah. And yeah. of course, uh, and a you, lot of you got to talk about that third verse, bro. And, and yo, that third verse, man, I, I can't remember who, I can't remember every third verse, but he was just he just broke it down in details. And I was funny you mentioned earlier about few people from Queensbridge, because one of the few people that he mentioned in the beginning, he said, What up with Cormega? Did you see him with y'all together? Right, right. <laughs> to Cormega on that song. So that is one of my favorite songs off the album, despite that. I can't skip a damn song because it, it almost makes you seem like everything is your damn favorite song on that album. And, and, and also the foreshadowing of, of that third verse, that scene from Belly. Belly. Where he's yeah. talking to the kid on the park bench. That was very, very cool. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and you know, um, so I'm glad Nas brought Queensbridge back because I don't know how, lo- how much longer we could have heard. And you love to hear the story again and again. Oh, how it all got started again. way there back he when. Goes again. The monument is right in your that, face. Man. Tell them what's the oh, name of the place. God. Queensbridge. The, 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 the bridge. The Queensbridge. Oh, bad. Oh, and, and it came back in 2001. So you cut it out, man. <laughs> Thank you. Yo, I just want to say if Nas ever listened to this, yo, Nas, I appreciate you, man. Thank you for. Uh, Having the bridge 2001, man. I, I oh, greatly appreciate. Oh, oh, and also thank you for bringing Shan back out of retirement after he, after. Uh, what do he, you mean retirement? Yeah, I mean if KRS one did did what he did to Shan to me, I'd have retired too. You out of your mind? Shan was still doing records and still doing songs, man. Ooh. Shout outs, shout outs to M- shout outs to MC Shan. We gotta have you on the show one day. I get you, a, I get you a flask or a bottle, uh, whatever hope, it is you like to drink. Uh, uh, a flask or a bottle? Oh no, he's really gonna get you now. <laughs> what? He's always he's always on Instagram. Um, um, before he start talking, he always take a sip. I just want him Shan, to feel comfortable. Yeah, he'll feel he'll feel comfortable beating you up. That's what he's gonna do. <laughs> Why would he beat me up? I'm a fan. And I'm gonna just stand back and laugh, like, ah, oh, you got him. You're a collector. But, uh, but uh, as far as my favorite track off Illmatic, and you know what? This is interesting because I'm glad because all three of us are gonna have a different answer after I give mine. But Life's a Bitch, uh, which introduced the oh, world to, to AZ. Ooh, ooh. 
And then also, so let me explain to y'all why I like this particular track. Number one, the flow. Number two, this this is the only song with a feature on the album. That's right. AZ was the only featured guest the entire album, and AZ killed that killed that song. Even though yep. Tipping and T Rock don't credit themselves on the hooks. Yeah, but I'm talking about as far as like somebody actually like spitting a verse. Yes, right? yes, yes. And then also the 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 instrumental itself. He got his pops Olu Dara, which um, if y'all for those of y'all who don't know, um, Nas is a second generation uh, musician. His father, uh, Olu Dara, he was a uh, a popular jazz musician in in the 70s. And, and that track is a gap band track. Yes, it is. And um, yeah, yeah, that sample. Yeah, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but Olu Dara, he he was playing what the saxophone on for that beat. I believe it was the trumpet. The trumpet, yep. sorry. Yeah, he played the trumpet on that. And, like, I don't know, but, like, if you just strip the, the words off the track and just listen to the instrumental, it's, like, one of the most relaxing pieces of music you could ever listen to. And, Absolutely. Uh, and, 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 you, and, and, you know, um, you know how we always talked about how Nas came off blazing in the first verse? Yo, this nigga AZ just came off blazing on the first verse, too. My man just came on Homeboy with Hamburger Helper. On that verse, like he just—it <laughs> was crazy hearing that, man. Oh my god! But yo, it, you know, like like you said, it's like it's it's a hard album to skip because every song is just so fucking perfect. Yeah. And and again, when you mention how it's a bit pressure that you're coming off, like yo, this guy could be the second coming off Rakim. That's hella pressure. But to me, if you if for real hip hop heads or hip hop heads, you will say that Illmatic. Is just one of the greatest debut albums to ever listen to. There's this couple, but it's one of them because it damn sure lived up its hype to me. And the first time I heard that album, by the way, I heard it. I never got a chance to hear it in '94. I heard the songs like "The World Is Yours" because that was playing, but I think around like maybe late of '95 or just about the time when Nas was started recording, it was written. That's the first time I heard Illmatic for the first time. The whole album, whole album. But yeah, yo, shout out to Nas, man. And they call oh, man. Great, great, great guy, man. Great MC, one of the greatest of all time, period. A legend. A legend to the 10th power. I don't care what anyone says. And this is coming from a Brooklyn kid. I'm giving away <laughs> the credit as credit's due. Yep. So, shout out to Nas. Shout out to Nas. Shout out to QB as well. And no, Alfie, you're not going to the freaking monument, so don't even think about it. <laughs> nope, he's not going out there. No way. Uh, Tell him how you want to go to the Foot Locker in Queensbridge. He's crazy, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, poor Al. <laughs> but, yeah, but, but you know, we, we talked about Queensbridge. You know, there's some other stuff to talk about in 94. And one of them, well, it, it's tough to talk about it now because – it's just hurtful from what we just witnessed of a specific. Hold on. Uh, yeah, but before before we move on, because I forgot to give my uh, I forgot to give my part of when I first heard Illmatic, and y'all, oh, oh. I'm a re- I'm a reveal something for y'all for the for the very uh, for the very first time, and uh, as a hip hop, well, I was younger, so y'all gotta forgive me, but I didn't hear Illmatic till I got to high school. Oh, all right. I didn't hear I, I didn't hear Illmatic until um, after I am. I heard it was written first. 
dogs like i first heard i first heard illmatic in like 2007 I heard Illmatic in like '96. That's through my brothers. But, I, but in the circle, in the circles I was in when I was younger and growing up, you know, we was listening to P. Silk and see if he wasn't checking for Nas. So, well, again, well, again, Al, that's the time when it was regional territory. So, yeah, yeah, I'm, I mean, I mean, you was down south, so whatever was going on around there, yeah, you was listening to that. So, yeah, man, but um, nah, it, like, and like we all say. Before we move off Illmatic, I want to make one point. Illmatic and the way they craft that album, I like to call it the Michael Jackson filler formula. Do y'all know what I mean by that, or y'all need me to elaborate? No, no, no. Talk it, talk it. You so, can elaborate. When I say the Michael Jackson thriller formula, so Illmatic, so as y'all know, Michael Jackson's Thriller is nine is an album with only nine tracks, right? But out of the nine tracks, all nine of them went on to be like revered classic songs. Illmatic is 10 tracks, so it fits into the Michael Jackson Thriller track length. Okay. And, out of, and out of the 10, you can't find a bad song. And most and with the and and if you really want to take out the Genesis, which is the intro, that's nine songs. And all nine songs went on to be all nine songs went on to be bangers. And I think like all nine of them were singles at one point. Am I wrong? I, um, I, think, I think amount of them did have videos. I could be wrong. Or got airplay on the radio. Yeah, uh, halftime, halftime, the world is yours. Hard to one tell, love. Play. Hard to tell, uh, one love. That's play. four. New York State of Mind might have had one. Uh, had a, might have had airplay. I'm not remember if that was on radio back in the day. Yeah, um, according, according but, to what I looked up, it was. Oh, one time so, for your mind wasn't really put out there. Memory Lane should have been out there. Memory Lane would have been a good single. Oh, man. He, he should have shot a video for that. That was a great one. That was a great one. For the first time, people, that's not me singing a hook or humming a beat. I just want y'all to know. Yeah, if that was Alfred, it'd be, it, it would be coming out very terrible. If that Thank was you. Alfred singing the hook. <laughs> Listen, I am the Nate Dog of this show, all right? Oh, God. <laughs> but uh, Man, you're not even the Butch Cassidy. <laughs> We're gonna continue to roll the train, the, <laughs> the train moving here. Um, so, also 1994. You can't talk about 1994. And these two topics go hand in hand. And um, before we begin, I just want to say uh, R.I.P. Andre Harrell. You know, 2020 yeah. been real, real shitty oh, so man. far as far as who's been dying and this whole coronavirus thing. But um, yeah. So Uptown Records transitions. Well, they 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 disintegrate and. They Andre Harrell fires uh, Sean Combs, and that leads way to Sean Combs making his own thing. He recruits Craig Mack, he recruits Biggie, and Bad Boy Records is born. So, Did you guys um, know that Andre was a recording artist? I didn't know that. I'm the Jekyll and Hyde duo. Yep, Jekyll yeah, and Hyde. That's when Andre started. Yep. I had I had no clue. I forgot about. I remember. Do you guys remember? You guys remember the Crush Groove movie? Yep. Yes. Was in it. Well, you know, you know, Andre was in it. He was in it. Wow, I didn't even realize. Same he was in the dorm. He, he was in the dorm room. Yep. When LL appeared, and he was uh, at towards the end, they were doing the dance routine with the Fat Boys and oh, uh, Run DMC and Curtis Blow. He did his routine signature from the Jekyll and Hyde duo. So yeah, Andre started off as an artist. I had no clue. Um. 
But yeah, Andre Harrell really is the one who opened the door for Bad Boy. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, man. Like, it's crazy because, again, we on the topic of 94. We got Project Funk the World, and in the very next week, we got Ready to Die. And Ready to Die still ranks up there as, like, a top album, not just for the 90s or the East Coast, but for hip-hop overall. Well, prior to that, if you could touch on this, uh, Mac, you know, 86 was when uh, Uptown Records really came about. And when you follow it into the 90s, Look at the roster. You had Heavy D, you Heavy. had Al B. Shore, you had Josie, you had Mary Guy, J. You had Blige, Williams. Oh my you God. had Mary. And who who was the guy, the architect behind a lot of these musicians and hits? It was Sean Combs. Sean Combs. So he and, uh, took that and he was able to apply that with the creation of Bad Boy. Well, let's not let's put it into perspective here, because again, a lot of our listeners may not know, but um. Sean Combs got a really bad rap because uh, that whole City College concert incident that led to him getting fired. Um, oh, yeah. Just to touch on that, so in Harlem, there's a there's a college called City College. And Sean, That's on Amsterdam Avenue. I know where that's at. Yeah, right on Amsterdam. And Puffy had thrown, had, had, did like a concert for the college, and like a brawl broke out. People got hurt. And, yeah, um, scary, scary. Yeah, it was a real volatile situation. And that led to... Talk about that, that incident, too. Yeah, and that incident led to him getting the axe from um from uh, Uptown. And the funny thing is, he uh and y'all can learn this from watching the uh the Notorious biopic on Biggie. But Biggie was just newly signed to Uptown at the time, and um when they when they fired Puff, uh, Biggie went right with him. But you think you know the thing is when you mentioned Ready to Die, people forget that the first time we actually see. You know, Puff, Puff has been in a lot of videos. A lot of people forget Puff made that quick cameo in Heavy D's. Um, what was that song? That Flavor Flav did the hook. You can't see me and I can't see. Yeah, that's right. You see me and I, you blind, baby. You blind for fact. You see Puffy <laughs> in a lot of videos back in he the He was up- also in Don't Curse. And don't, the don't curse video. He, you see him walking across with the sign and stuff like that. Yep. He is right there. So Puffy has been everywhere. And of course, before, you know, Bad Boy really jump started let's go back chris you know what i'm talking mm. yeah what you talking about <laughs> oh my you know goodness. you know what's crazy you know what the crazy <laughs> part about it is biggie was originally brought to uptown yes, this was uptown. when you know because 93 uptown started to go on a decline i i looked it up and there was some issues with the contracts with mary j blige and Joe to see, and there was it was some big issues going on with that. And do you know who they were managed by at the time? Who? Our friend Marion. Marion. Wait, 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 wait. First of all, and first of all, how many Uh-oh. times I gotta tell you? <laughs> you don't know that man to call him Marion. Shout out yeah, to oh, Big yeah. Shook. No, shout no, out to no, Big no, Shook, no, by no, the way. No, 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 no. We know him to call him that, but yeah. And um. Now I know he had he was cool with Casey and JoJo. That's how Casey and JoJo ended up on all them Tupac songs on a row. But I didn't know he managed them when uh when yeah. when they was on Uptown. Suge was managing Mary and Jodeci, and they wanted more money in their contract, and Suge was able to get it done. Did he go to the office and uh, strong arm Andre Harrell? That's exactly what he did. Really? No, like, like no bullshit. That's what he did. No, there's no joke about it. He, Suge is a very confrontational guy. He's not a guy that's gonna negotiate over the phone. He's gonna come right at you. And you know, Andre was able to work out the deal. 
Jodeci and Mary J. Blige got paid a lot of money. But with that type of budget, what does that do? You know, yeah. it causes it causes a lot of issues. And, you, you, you know, you think you think there was any humiliation involved? Why are you insulting Mo Prime? I don't know why you like to I'm do that. I'm not insulting Mo Prime. What are you, you talking about? You like to do that I mean, all the I'm time. I'm not insulting Mo Prime, the whole, the, whole, the whole humiliation thing from that no good DVD that you like to bring up. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, if y'all want a good rap documentary, go ahead. Go, go ahead and pick up Biggie and Tupac, directed by Nick Broomfield. And you'll, it is the most amazing <laughs> piece of three-hour footage you'd ever see. Don't waste your time and watch it. Notorious he is. We are no. Getting, no, no, getting back to notorious. the topic. Getting, All right, getting back to the topic. You know, you know, it actually took Puffy two weeks to get Bad Boy established. Yeah, and and the funny thing is, um, after he already told Big that he lost that he lost the record deal, Big was hesitant to re- to to sign the Bad Boy. Yes, he was. Yeah, yeah, he was. He thought he was gonna get dropped again. Matter of fact, he he had started going back and uh, hitting the streets. After uh, the Uptown thing disintegrated. Yeah, but, you know, Puffy had the bag of him. He was like, man, trust me. This is going to work out. Just keep oh. doing your records. And oh, yeah, oh, trust me, right, because then a specific record is now born. You could talk about this. Mac, you got to go back a little bit. You you know you know what else you could touch on, Mac? You know that Project Funk the World and Ready to Die came out in the same month? Same yeah, month. Yeah, they came, they came out one week apart. Um, Craig Mac album dropped first. And then Biggie was the very next week. And and Craig and Craig Mack, God bless his soul, he went gold, but Biggie, that album just took off. It took him it took Big two months to go double platinum. But you know the thing is, Craig Mack just came like out of nowhere as well. But we saw Biggie before, unfortunately, even before Ready to Die. Party of Bullshit be one of them. And as well as Supercat. We didn't see much of Craig like that yet. So well, let's get so let's I'll give a background. Let's give a background on Craig Mack real quick. Um, Craig Mack is from Brentwood, Long Island. He ran in the same circles as EPMD. Um, but it's it's interesting that you you bring that up that nobody had really seen Craig Mack until then. And the funny thing is that album did go gold. But the most popular song Craig Mack is known for is not even on the album. The remix to Flavor in Your Ear is not on is not on Project Funk the World. Because I felt like because who was on it, especially in the beginning of the verse, and I felt like they they tried to market him more than Craig. I felt like the eye was going to Biggie more than Craig. That's how I feel. Because the money, Biggie sold millions yeah. with his debut, so they saw where the money was, and they pushed it more towards Big. But Mac was great in his own light with his original Listen, style. That's why I love Mac, because Mac was just original. He was just himself. Mm-hmm. Mac was himself. Yep. He give you that futuristic George Jesse. <laughs> Just like a isn't piece that of Harvey, is, Isn't that Harvey Pierre telling him that crazy yep. craziness? That's Harvey Pierre. Well, actually, no. Bad you know boy. what? You know what? We're wrong because Craig Mack had one notable appearance before he had an album, and that's when he was on that Mary joint. Oh, the yeah. Reason. That's yeah. when he made his debut. Yeah, that's when he he, he came out. But yeah, that's interesting because we seen big before. We seen big before Ready to Die. But yeah, other than that one appearance on Mary J. Blige album, nobody really, nobody really seen Craig Mack before then, which is which is it was an interesting comment. But um, let's right. talk about Ready to Die. So like we'll go around we'll go around the, the table again, 
and uh, the virtual table. And um, again, same question: your favorite track on the album, and uh, what was your first impression upon hearing the album? So, uh, QG, you lead us off, and then Mac, uh, Mac, we'll go to you, and then we'll come, we'll finish it with me. My favorite song off the Ready to Die album for Big is the title track. Um, it okay. is just, it is just the way I'm ready. Th- that sample. And then you got the Big Daddy Kane vocal in the background. I thought that was perfect. And just the way that he was just so raw and vicious with it. Like, Big said whatever he wanted. And on that song, he he expressed his frustrations with what he was dealing with. Because at the time, you know, he's a young man, too. And just people had a, need to remember this. And Mr. C, shout out to him. If you listen to Ready to Die carefully, there's some vocals where Big sounds real young. And then there's vocals where he sounds very mature for his age because of the gap that he was recording in. So you got the party and BS big in the middle of that transitioning to the big with the heavy deep voice because he was getting older. Uh-huh. So all that was going on at the time, too. So when you listen to the album, it's going in and out, back and forth because it was a transition period. But that title track, is just so vicious, man. And it was just so it's in your face type of song. Okay, T.O., what about you? Oh, well, before we get to T.O., um, QG, what was your first, when did you first hear Ready to Die and what was your first impression of it? Well, the first time I heard uh, Ready to Die was actually after <laughs> Life After Death, which is interesting because I heard the songs, but I didn't hear the album in full. And those, and those, and those two albums have two totally different sounds, so that's oh, interesting. Yeah. Way different, but then you know, tell the different formula. Biggie was going to a different direction, sort of exactly. But obviously, you know, you heard Juicy, Juicy, everybody heard that song. So, you know, when I when I heard Ready to Die, I said, Man, this album is incredible! Like, especially the story that he was telling because he was hungry, you know. And like you said, with Life After Death, now he has all the success, he's in a different state of mind, he can't rap about being hungry anymore. Because Ready to Die was when he was just coming off the block, hustling, coming out of jail. So all of that, you could hear it in his essence in Ready to Die. So that's why Ready to Die is such a great album. All right. All right, um, T.O., your turn. Well, Ready to Die to me was just money, uh, was just Hungry Big, man. Fell off the back, despite the songs, Ready to Die, as well as, uh, let's just say, Juicy. You know, Juicy is one of those type of struggle type life songs that you can hear over and over again and just like everyday struggle the same way and and to me everyday struggle is a powerful song but i know what my favorite song is because i'm i'm i gotta go with machine gun funk man why do you love that song so much man First of all, I love the way Biggie flow, and I love the production of it as well. And you know, I and, and plus, I love the particular. And by the way, I'm glad we mentioned Ready to Die because I like the other version better, like the original. Because you know, when they did remaster, they took a lot of things off on certain songs. Yeah, the sampling. Yeah. yeah. So if That's you're right. not if you're not known Machine Gun Funk, the hook alone it's simply um I forgot one of those cats' names from the Lords of the Underground. That's yes. that's the hook. I live by the funk. I die by the funk. So when right. you hear Lords of the Underground, um, Chief Rocker, that's the which was actually a hit in '93, by the way. You will hear that particular hook, and I thought it landed perfectly. My other favorite song, no offense, Al, I got two, 
unbelievable. I, I fucking love it. That's Primo. Yeah, I'm a Primo fan again. We'll get to that guy later on. But other than that, like like we mentioned, we mentioned how Illmatic was an album not to skip. Ready to Die is another one that it's hard to skip. You know, you know, and, and originally, and this is quoted by the people close to Big. Big was trying to follow the Illmatic formula, and Puffy was like, "Nah." Well, shout out to Puffy for saying nah. <laughs> But that shows you how inspirational Illmatic is. Yes, it is. You know, Biggie tried to follow, and in a, and in a way, you know, what I'm saying it, 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 it kind of did, but it was in a different direction. And and what, but what does that tell you about Craig Mack's debut and Big's debut? Two different people, two different stories, two different styles. Oh my, way two different styles. Whew. Oh yeah, polar opposites. Can I get down? Get on down. <laughs> Easy Mo B really put in some work on those two albums, man. Yo, you know what? We forgot to mention him parts of the topic because a lot of people forget Mo B was busy on Bad Boy. Oh, man. Oh, what? What? I mean, obviously, he did work for other people, especially uh, Tupac as well, even though that's another story. But as far as Bad Boy, my Mm. man uh, uh, Mo B was busy. Shout out to Easy Mo B, man. He doesn't get enough due to. Yeah, but Al, what you got? What's your favorite? So... My favorite track off Ready to Die is like I feel like it's one of the more slept on cuts on the album. Um it's not even a single, didn't get any airplay, but uh I feel like Everyday Struggle is like the most relatable song on that album. That hook I, shows I fucks with that emotion. song completely. That hook alone shows emotion. Yep. Oh yeah. And um I don't wanna live no more. Yeah, man, and like like the Blues Brothers produced that, and they they they're not too they're not very popular. Right. And by the way, guys, the Blues Brothers, we're not talking about Cap Calloway, John Belushi, and John <laughs> There's another Blues. Not Jake, not Jake and Elwood. Jake Elwood. Not Jake Elwood and them. But um, yeah, everyday struggles my shit, and um, again, Ready to Die is one of those albums that I heard very late, um. I heard Illmatic and, and, and Ready to Die in the same time period. High school, 10th grade, 2007. But uh, that, that don't mean I appreciate it any less. And um, yeah, that album is raw. Like other songs, like I love I love, um, I love Give Me the Loot and I love The What. Him and Method yeah. Man all day. Oh, oh, man. Oh, man. What a track. And like it follows, like if you notice, it follows this, the formula of Illmatic. Method Man is the only feature on that whole album. Yes, there is. you go. There you go. Exactly. Oh, and by the way, I like to give a disclaimer for anybody who goes on Apple Music title or if you like happen to just find a physical copy of Ready to Die, just know who shot you is not on the original version of the album. I just I don't know why they put that on there. I just I just have yeah, to say that. Yeah. Yeah, they put that on the remastered. Uh for those of y'all who know, Who Shot You came out uh, a year later in ninety five, so it, it was not is not really on ready to die. They just threw that on there for the remaster. Yep. But uh, moving on into the into the world of um into the world of 1994 and hip hop. Let's well, talk about let's talk about uh real quick uh Method Man's impact and how like out of the woo he uh he branched out, you know, and and some people will say that Method Man had more success than uh, the rest of the Wu Tang members. 
Well, he's the only guy, yeah, to have a solo song on the Enter the Thirty Six Chambers. M e t h o d man. <laughs> well, that, well, that gave an opportunity, but this is why I, this is why I met the man is is part of the impact of 1994 because he had a solo shot on the Into the Wu on 36 Chambers and everything. But when Takao came out, first of all, before we get to that, I know what's his name Jizza had an album in '91, but it was not much of an impact before the Wu even formed up. He so, wasn't even the Jizza back then; he was the genius. That's the it, genius. So this is now Jizza inside the Wu, but when Tikal came out in '94, first of all, it's a great album in my opinion. I love Bring the Pain. Bring the Pain is my shit. I got a question for you guys. Does anybody know what Tikal stands for? No, uh, I have no clue. Oh. <laughs> I didn't even know it was an abbreviation. There we go. See, there's a, it's an acronym. It's 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 it stands for Taking into Consideration All Lives. Uh, I, I didn't know it was a, and I found out like a few years ago too, because I never knew the meaning behind it. I never knew it was an acronym first. So yeah. yes, glad you pointed that out. Yeah. And then um once let me tell you why I, I felt like Takao was a good thing, because once Takao came out, look what happened in ninety-five. Raekwon gets an album in ninety-five. Oh my god. And then Rick- in ninety-six, Ghostface gets an album. No, but, but bro, we forget um ODB with his album in '95. Yeah, uh, yeah. Liquid '95 yeah. and Liquid Swords in '95 too. So it was it like just, just the domino effect. It, but it, but it, Method it, Man was the one to kick it all off. Absolutely. And, this, and, and let me tell you, and this was a good look because not only that he had a solo act on the Wu album, but we mentioned this a few minutes ago. He was on the what? One of the like best. I will say tip for tap collabs between him and Big, which their sources Big will say that Method Man got him on. But if you really look at it, Method Man went off. I'm sorry, and, and Meth, Meth and Meth yeah. was coming hot. And yeah. you also got to went to Def Jam. And you also got to look at it like this. So like, as far as New York being like the the epicenter of hip hop. Like, of course, you had successful acts from Brooklyn. So you had Big Daddy Kane, Cool G Rap. Later on, Biggie. Um, Queens, we just went through all the Queensbridge that was that was putting on. Um, the Bronx, you had um, Boogie Down Productions, um, KRS and D-Nice holding it down, um, and a young Fat Joe at this time period in 94. And then, um, you, well, Harlem, I guess I guess you could say Harlem. Well, Harlem has always had successful hip-hop acts. Big L was just come, uh, coming up. But nobody was from Staten Island up until this point. Yep. Like, like, no, like belongs to the Wu Tang Clan, and and it's funny because if yeah, you think about it, even, even King Island, if, that's if you think about it, even to this day, like no rappers come out of Staten Island. Staten Island is pure Wu Tang territory. Everybody yep. else who emerged from Staten Island later on, they were all Wu affiliates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they held it down. And Meth, he went to Def Jam. Electra was trying to sign him because they signed ODB. They wanted to sign Meth. Meth went to Def Jam. And I find it funny that all of these, all the members of the Wu, like, they didn't stick together. They all had solo deals with different labels. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know what? What's, what's up, Q? You know what else, too? You know what else, too, guys? Besides the Ready to Die album and the stuff, Method Man was really, really, really coming to his own. Also because of the Cream single. Even though he did the hook. It is one of the most recognizable hooks 
and vocals you yeah, could ever get into. Cream, get the money. Uh, hey. Meth was on a rocket, man. He was rolling, man. Meth was rolling. And, what the hell yeah. was this problem at the end of the song? <laughs> he had an ODB moment. Okay, that's not funny. <laughs> but yeah, man. Like, yeah. like they now, now, we talked about earlier Nas reviving Queensbridge from the dead, but Method Man, well, Wu-Tang and arguably Method Man they uh they put Staten Island on the map. Absolutely. And let's not forget, they were also part of the St. Ives commercial. Ah, how drive! How drive! <laughs> you know it's crazy, and and this t- this shows you the impact of sales because Takao came out in January. Now, actually, no, by January it went it was gold, oh. but by July it went platinum. Look at how fast that happened. Hmm. And, and and a lot of people forget we we talk about Takal. Let's not forget the record, of course, the most notable record with Mary J. Blige. They got a Grammy for it. Mm-hmm. You're all I need. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> nails on a chalkboard. Oh, <laughs> stop it. Sound, that's what they sound like. And remember, guys, and remember, there's two versions of productions to that song. Well, the but Mary J. Me, Blige, the Mary J. Blige version is not on the album to Cal. It right, was released it's not on that by album, itself. Right. right. That was released by itself, but that still, but that puts a bit of a boot for Meth. What do you think made Meth different? Why did people? Why? Why was Meth so appealing? Well, his, his voice his, number one. His voice and his flow were different from the rest of the Wu Tang. Agreed. Like Ghostface has like a little higher pitch voice, Raekwon, like they're all they all have distinguished voices and then that's what I say. Meth has that that raspy chill voice like I'm just I'm just mumbling. You got Ghostface who is just wild and loud. And you cool keep up. Not now. Shut up, you know. Raekwon just it's just like someone you can. Kick. I don't think I don't think anybody was more wilder than uh, Dirt McGurk. <laughs> oh, Dirt McGurk. No, see, that's why I say wild because I was gonna go to Dirt McGurk next. Wilder, okay. Oh my lord, like, Dirt Method Man was so ODB. charismatic. Exactly, he just charismatic. ODB is just drunk charismatic. And Meth was using punches and metaphors too. Lyrically, like he was, he was punching on these records. Ten times we seen Meth actually out there. He still does his thing, yo. Oh yeah, he looks great, man. He looks fantastic. And still sounds also, the same. Also in '94. Uh, now we've been talking about all East Coast up until this point, but the West Coast was still kicking uh, in '94. Of course, we we touched on how Death Row uh, was was off, and uh, they were like a a rocket strapped going to the moon, but um, you can't talk about 1994 without mentioning. And if you smoke like I smoke, get high like every day, <laughs> bro. Warren, Warren G. Now you want to talk about people? Y'all want to talk about people reviving things and putting things on the map? Warren G. Single-handedly saved Def Jam in 1994. Thank you. Thank you. He Thank sure you. did. Thank you. You know bro. how much Regulate sold alone the single? If Warren G hadn't dropped Regulate G Funk era or even made uh, Regulate, Def Jam may not be around right now. Nope. You know, it's interesting you bring that up because when they were going in the hole, Polygram purchased 50% of the 
of Def Jam's distribution. And Def Jam distributed Violator Management. Violator Management was what was was who had Warren. Yep. If they did not pick that up, there'd be no Def Jam. Nope. Mm-mm. And it's and it's crazy you mentioned that because if you look at certain Def Jam albums, some of them have the Polygram logo on it on the back. Other others uh, others have the uh, what is that? The Rush Associated Labels, the R A L right. logo on the back. Right. So they were all like there were many subdivisions that 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 held Def Jam together that people don't know about. Well, like you said, Triple you gotta bring platinum. up regulator. <laughs> and and it's funny we mentioned regulate because regulate also is a song that has that that affects so many different parts. Because what soundtrack was regulate on? Above the rim. And what label put out the above the rim soundtrack? Death. The Untouchable oh. Death Row Records. Shout out to you, Big Shit. Which, which by the way, that time Death Row was also expanding now into movie soundtracks also. And you know Warren G. And again, like we said, we, we always say that um, where's Warren G from? LBC, right? Two one and two exactly. one and Lewis. We talk about like how the East Coast was also, you know, starting to get revived from the whole, you know, West Coast. But let's not I think in my opinion, the East Coast did rise again, but Warren G said, Hold up, we can we can keep this right here too on. Like he 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 kept the West Coast. Right there on the edge, too. Hey, you know what I respect a lot about Warren? I respect so much about Warren is he's Dr. Dre's stepbrother. You know, Dre was already certified with everything he was doing. And Warren is was, you know, came out and did his own thing. He did it his way, his style, his sound. And remember, remember Warren G is coming off the guest appearance of It Ain't No Fun and all that stuff. So this was a good look of him. And Death Row Row was still... Death Row was still going strong because before Above the Rim, what soundtrack they came out with? Murder was the case. Yep, they both came out in 94. Both of them. So Death and Row. they sold very well. So Death Row was still strong no matter what. And of you, course, you know, on the way Pop came out later on, we'll talk about next time. You know, you know, Death Row used to give out turkeys on Thanksgiving? Yep. <laughs> Shout out! Look, 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 look at Big Shook doing things for the community. Shout out to you, Big well, Shook. Well, yeah, 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 Marion, you did a great thing. Marianne. Stop calling that man Marion. You don't know that man to call him Marion. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting you guys mentioned above the rim because there was a lot of songs that that didn't even make the cut for that album. Tupac got paid ten grand, yeah. bro, for pain, bro. And and, and Dr. Dre took Dr. Dre took that off the album, hater. <laughs> I don't know what was his reasons for that, but Loyal to the Game was supposed to be on there as well. Yep. Man, Loyal Dre, to the Game was supposed to be on that album. Dre was hating, man. I mean, Pop got paid 200000 for Life So Hard. That hmm. was supposed to be on Murder Was the Case. Oh, I didn't even know that. Well, he still appeared on... Did, did, no, he didn't... Did he appear on Murder Was the Case soundtrack? He, he was in the music video of National Born Killers. Oh, okay. He well, well, he was on above the rim technically because they put Thug Life's um, pour out a little right. liquor. Right, that made on it there. on there. Yeah, yeah, that was there. But mm-hmm. other than that, like he wasn't, uh, he wasn't nowhere to be found on those soundtracks. But '94, so Death Row's hitting. But Warren G, like, so he, he, and and I would say that Regulate was the most successful single on Above the Rim. So yeah, sure. look, look at look at one, look at what one song did. One single song. Saved one whole label on the East Coast, and then catap- helped catapult the West Coast. So it was like it was playing both sides of the fence. It was the song of the summer. 
It oh was. yeah. So uh, to mention, yeah, this is now the time when the mainstream is finally hearing the side of G Funk. We ain't really hear that style out here like that. And G Funk was prior prior to Warren. You had Laylaw, you had Dre. Did you know what I mean? You had Quick messing around with it. And what is G Funk? It's pretty much funk, but in an altered tempo with a melodic synthesizing sound, a slow groove with background vocals, high pitch, <laughs> that 70s sound with some crazy drums. Like it was, it was, it, it's just, it, it's for the cars. You play them in your car. That's what I'm saying. It's like it's like one of those times you play in your cars and you just cruising on the LA freeway or somewhere on the highway, man. It's one of those cruising type funkadelic ass beats and sounds, man. And I love it. I don't care. I love it. But oh, you yeah. know what's crazy though? You look at Warren G and um regulate G Funk era, but I mean, sad to say, and I love Warren, but he didn't really accomplish too much after that. And as far as the album singles, you can't compare this DJ to 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 regulators, but mm-hmm. I mean that that song regulators will stand the test of time. It's just a shame Warren didn't accomplish more, you know. But yeah, I, I mean the album sold three million. But well, but I, but well, regular. but regulate as a song though did so well, like he really didn't need to do much more after that. Nope, he made a name right off the bat. Indeed, and he has other albums after that, obviously. But that album and that single is a certified cemented classic, never be touched again. Nope. And, nope. and and while we're on the topic of of um West Coast labels, because obviously we just brought up Death Row, um, Ruthless was still kicking at this time, even though they were like on life support. And um Easy E signed a certain group out of Cleveland, and you know, they said, For the love of money, gotta get the money, man. Mm-hmm. Well, 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 one thing's for sure, one thing's for sure. We're not against rap. And we're not against rappers, <laughs> but we we're are against those thugs. <laughs> it's the thuggish, ruggish nonsense. bone. It's the <laughs> bone. Man. Oh, man. And so like the you- world got introduced to Bone Thugs and Harmony. And it's very interesting because if you look at everybody who Eazy-E had signed up until that point. So he had Dre. He had Yella. He had Ren. He had Cube. I mean, the D.O.s, they're all from Cali. Then you had the DOC, who, even though he was from Texas, he'll tell you he's from Cali. Right. Um, he had JJ Fad. They were all from California. Um, I know, I know, I know you're gonna say, even though I'm gonna say Will I am, you're gonna call him William, but yeah, that's um, William. Everybody he had the that. earliest incarnation of the Black Eyed Peas. They're from California. So at this time, like, I just find it weird. Easy E, like, branched out of California and went to Cleveland, Ohio, of all places. And scooped up Bone Thugs and Harmony, and um, they dropped their EP, uh, creeping on a come up. And, he uh, actually he went out to Cleveland, like he physically went out to Cleveland <laughs> to find these guys, and then he, he, you know, he sent them a ticket to come right. to California, and they came to Cali, and you know, the rest is history. And, and like you said, like they, like Wolfley was a bit on life support, but once he found those guys in Cleveland, aka Bone Thugs and Harmony. It was like that saved a bit of ruthless because creeping on the come up, man. Come on now, you can't go wrong with that album. Because arguably, yeah. if, if 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 Easy didn't find Bone, then I think Ruthless would have died. Because let's take a look at the the album that Ruthless put out before um, Bone uh, Thugs. I, it was MC Ren's uh, debut EP, which didn't do much sales wise, and it was only right. like five tracks long. Right. And, and like I, it extended Ruthless because. 
Easy was dead by 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 mid ninety five. So yeah. I mean, yeah, they put out Easy's um, they put out Easy's um, uh, posthumous album straight off the motherfucking streets of Compton, and uh, as Suge Knight once said, um, the most successful artist will always be a dead artist because when a popular artist dies, his record sales blow up, and we've Is seen Shug that happen time you? and time again. No, he's not. But I'm trying to yeah, make a point here. Yeah, because you keep bringing this guy up all the time. Stop talking about Marion, man. Shout outs to you, Big Shug. We uh, listen. Oh, if you God. if you listen to this, I didn't call you Marion. I don't have nothing to do with that. But yeah, he listen, has everything to do with it. But continuing my point, so like, mm. so like you, so Easy dies, but then Ruthless is only putting out one release at a time, and it's all Bone. You would have swore Bone Thugs was the only was the only uh, uh, artist left on Ruthless. Because all the, all the albums like Art of War and their other album after that, they were all on Ruthless, and that was the only thing Ruthless was churning out. So they kept Ruthless on life support, and they was actually selling pretty well. You know, it gave other producers opportunities, like DJ Unique and Rhythm D. Yeah. You oh. know, yeah, they had opportunity with that production. I mean, if it wasn't for Bone Thugs continuing to make music on Ruthless, I don't think Latoya Wright would have ever been in the music business. You know, Pac. You know, Pac said something about Bone Thugs and Harmony during an MTV Raps interview. What did he say? I remember that. This was this was around the time when Thug Life was coming out, and he just had an issue with people saying that they were thugs. He's like, you know, we're not the thuggish, ruggish, or anything like that. So I remember. That. I was like, yeah. So I mean, they took offense to that, obviously, but they never, you know, dissed or anything like that. They had their unique style and just with the fast flow and the harmony until Pac met them and he got to see how real they was. And that's how eventually they did work together on the art of war. And uh, I, I think, and then, and then, and then the, and funny you mentioned about DJ unique. I loved his style for both those army. It fit <laughs> perfectly. Don't call me Mr. Bill Collective. <laughs> Cause you had, you had, you had G funk sound on creeping on a come up. You had that type of sound on there. And it's still motherfucking, by the way. Oh, speaking of that, you guys know who sang the hook for uh, for the love of money? Oh, oh, I got a good one for you, Jewel from Death Row. Figures. Oh my God. Figures, cause it, I feel like it sounded like her. That's Jewel. A lot of people didn't know that, which is interesting. <laughs> She's the one who sang it. For the love of money, and of course, for the love of money, you know your favorite verse of all time, Mac, is on there. Yes, because it's still motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to know why Easy E was hiding behind the tree. Because he making sure the motherfuckers don't see him. That's it. Exactly. <laughs> Come on, he's ducking and dodging the cops. He told you why he was hiding behind the tree. And um, also in 1994, while we on the uh, well, we technically not on the west, but. How about uh and, and you just mentioned Tupac and Thug Life. They dropped an album in '94, Thug Life Volume One. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a shame Volume Two never came out. And if you look at Thug Life, I mean, everybody knows about Tupac and the Outlaws, but I don't think people talk about Thug Life as uh as much as they should. Oh man, Macadocious, rated R. You know, Mo big Preen. psych and big and, psych, and, the, man. and the and the king of humiliation, Mo Preen. Oh God! Why you see that, yo? Mo, you know what? You should have Mo Preen. <laughs> have Mo yeah. Preen on the show so you could talk to him about being humiliated. And listen, this, yo, yo I would I, I would love to have Mo Preen on the show. I'm a huge Mo Preen fan. And he's gonna whoop. No, he's away. not. 
Me and Mo pretty much are going to get along because I'm not going to talk about the man's humiliation. Why would I do that? Yeah, yeah he'll get along with his ass back. That's what he's going to do. <laughs> but but um, let's talk about Thug Life for, for a, a real second here. Like, look at all the good the songs off of Thug Life Volume 1. You had Pour Out a Little Liquor, Cradle to the Grave. Hey, hey, um, my personal favorite, How Long Will They Mourn Me? Which is, really, Warren, G. which is really foreshadow, and, and and of course our boy Nate Dog on the hook. And, Absolutely. Um, but but the foreshadow of that song is crazy. But that album didn't like compared to the rest of Pac's discography while he was alive. I think Thug Life didn't sell. It, it barely went gold. No, nah, I didn't really sell. Well, much. it was mostly about it was mostly about the group. You know, it was mostly about him putting his boys on. And it's funny that's the first time Pac and Johnny J got together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But y'all know my favorite, and my personal favorite song off this album, right? Which is? Well. Oh, no. Well, well, well. Oh, my Lord. Uh-huh. Every single time. Yo, this is not Family Guy. You sound <laughs> like an old dude from Family Guy, man. You Listen, man. Anything with a Ron Isley sample, I fuck with, all right? I mean, that was the first song of the album, Out the Gate. That's how they got started, and Pac was selfish. He had two verses. <laughs> well, well, well. <laughs> well. What is it, Pac selfish? <laughs> Love Pac. Shout uh, also, the song Under Pressure with uh, Big Stretch, man. R.I.P. Big Stretch. He was on that He was on that song. I heard Biggie was supposed to be on the Thug Life. He was supposed to be in the group. That's very oh, interesting. Pac. You know what? Yeah, oh, Biggie hey, you was know supposed what? to be a member of Thug Life. You know what's crazy? Out on Bail was supposed to be on Thug Life. I don't know if you remember, but um, Thug Life performed um, Out on Bail at the 94 Source Award. Yes, they yes, did. They did. They, we will definitely... Uh, yeah, 94 Source Award. Yeah, and people need to understand something. There's some controversy with that. I'm glad you brought that up, involving a Tribe Call Quest. They're telling people, oh, Pac ran in there and cut them off. No, 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 no. The sound man put on the song while these guys were getting their award and Pac went out and performed. He didn't know nothing about the tribe being out there. He did what he was supposed to do. He just heard the music so, and went out. And just went out there. It had nothing to do with him bow guarding the tribe or dissing tribe or none of that, even though obviously Q-Tip and them were very upset, but it was not Pac's fault that it happened. And Pac still apologized. He spoke to Buster Rhymes. He, you know what I mean? But all them people out there that was blaming Pac for that, that wasn't Pac's fault. That was the engineer. Oh, and by the way, while we talking about out on bail, I want to give a direct message because you know every every episode I, I go on a little rant, but oh, Eminem, Eminem, this is for you, sir, Marshall. And uh, oh, yeah, you're yeah. Marshall now. Look, Look at Marshall. this. Look at this, Marshall. I got I got one thing to say to you, right? Who the hell are you to call him? Marshall? Oh, hey, hey, hold on. You took advantage of of a naive and misguided Afeni Shakur, right? And you took oh. those. You took those two. You you wrote that letter, and and we all know what that letter said. And you wrote that letter to to Mrs. Shakur, may her soul rest in peace. And you talked about oh, uh, Tupac got a profound impact on your life. First of all, you're not even black, so what impact he had on you? Second of you all, you don't have to be black to have an impact. Uh, 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 on let me finish. What are you talking about? Second of all, out of your mind. Second of all, Marshall, you took these songs and you butchered the shit out of them. You almost ruined that man's legacy. He do you know how nobody's legacy? Do you know how bad Loyal to the Game album was? 
Do you know how? Do you know what you did to Soldier Like Me and all those other songs? That was the worst Tupac album I've ever heard. And who was the executive producer? Marshall, you should be ashamed that you executive produced that. You call him Marshall. Hey, I'm not done. You you know what? Right. Oh, he's not. You're not done. Were you a Steno now? I'm not done. (laughs) Eminem butchered out on bail and all those other songs you hear on Loyal to the Game. And I am so glad that Afeni gave Pox Life to somebody else uh, to make that last album. Because between the Resurrection soundtrack and Loyal to the Game... Oh, it was just a, it's just disgusting. If Pac could have heard that music, he'd have rolled over in his grave. You know what the funny part? You know what? Even though that rant was stupid, since you want to call it Marshall, it's not stupid. Thing, he, right? Was loyal right. to the game a good album? Answer the question. Don't, don't call him Marshall. Just like don't, I, you don't said, don't call him Marion. Don't call him Marshall. It's was loyal thing. to the game a good album? Answer the question. We don't care. Loyal to the game? Well, yeah, exactly. What do you mean you don't care? You going on rant about about Eminem? Here's my, but you know the thing is, I'm glad you mentioned Resurrection because that song, what was it, Running? The other Man, version. Eminem I, destroyed. Eminem you know, destroyed Running from the Police. You know the I funny love part? Easy Mon B's version better. I agree. You know what the funny part is? That particular song sounded like something Fifty Cent could have done. Hmm. That made yeah because because the production. You know, that production sounded like a G Unit record to me. It did. It did. That and it's M style. M's production style. It's very significant. You'll know an Eminem beat when you hear it. And you know, you you know what? And I say this all the time. When Eminem was in charge of those Tupac projects, Eminem produced beats that he would rap over himself, not necessarily to match Tupac's style. True. No, no, no I understand Al, but it, yeah, that that the loyal to the game. Nah, man, it's yeah. yeah. And then look, and then one day at a time. Oh my goodness! Oh no. Okay, but 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 we're supposed to be talking about '94. I'm, I'm sorry. Little, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You went I, on I, your, you went I on apologize. Your I, I, I tend. Yeah. I tend to get emotional sometimes, but yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. He, you better apologize to Eminem because Eminem will come find you. Listen, man. Mr. Mathers, we love to have you on the show. Oh, oh, that was Mr. Mathers. We, we, uh-huh. we, see, he, we, we, he we, knows better. We love that. See, 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 he trying to get on the show now. The office phone ringing. But anyway, um, and the last thing we're going to. Well, we got two more t- things to touch on real quick. Um, so DJ Premier was very, very busy in 1994. Oh, it. Was Premier busy? He sure was. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you why he was busy. Just by two things. Number one, of course, hard to earn a great gangstar album. But let's bring in another person. Jerul the Damager. Oh, the sun rises and sets in the east. Oh, my God. Yo, everything was premiere. You would have thought this would have been another group based on uh, premiere. You know what I would have called the group? The Damage in premiere. That's it. The Damage in premiere. (laughs) The Damage in premiere. You know, it's ill because when you look at it, we talked about Illmatic earlier. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, with stuff like uh, that. Yep. And of course, you you mentioned hard. To, you know, you mentioned the Gangstar album, which had Mass Appeal, Code of the Streets, and you know, it was it was it was interesting. He did something for MOP. Yes, he did. The uh, rugged, the rugged, rugged, never smooth. Ooh, what a what right. Do you guys know about this album called uh, 
It's called Buckshot Le Funk. What is that? Is that Buckshot? It, it's either Buckshot. I, I, I call it Buckshot Le Funk. But the co-producer, and Matt, this is more of your element. It's a bluesy, jazzy type of album co-executive produced by Branford Marcellus. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Branford Marcellus of all people? Brand, Brand, Branford Marcellus and Primo got together to do this jazzy type of project and it's called buckshot le funke it came out in 94 and yeah it's just i'm actually look, look i actually up. just pulled this up buckshot le funk is is the debut album of branford marsalis's jazz hip-hop rock group what the there, hell there you go this released something released released on sony music produced by branford marsalis dj premier and blackheart there you go i've never heard of this yep you know what the you know what I'm yo Chris you mentioned that because I remember something about someone saying DJ Premier was like working with some rap jazz thing and I couldn't and I couldn't catch it back then and I was like well who and I never and I never got a chance to like try to get it there 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 goes to show you man that that's the album co-executive produced by uh, Branford Marcellus and I gotta listen to this wait a minute Elton John had a song on it the, they sampled Elton John what. Mona Lisa yeah. and Mad Hat. What is this? That that's right. It's something to check out, fellas. I'm gonna check it out. I'm gonna see if it's good. He also did work. He did show and proof for Big so, Daddy Kane's album, and of course, you one of your favorites. It's unbelievable. Damn right. Biggie Smalls. Also, also Arrested Development. If you could believe that. I'm not surprised. Oh, actually, I'm surprised. That's a difference. That's a different style right there. Yeah, ease my mind was what he did. Yes, he did do ease my mind. Tell you, Primo was a busy. He was a busy, busy man in '94. Did he even Absolutely. get sleep? <laughs> he slept in the studio. Oh, oh, oh Pac, you, you, Pac, you listening from from above? You gotta see where you get this from. Yep. I mean, Primo was Primo, man. But yeah, then, Primo. Pre, I think '94 production-wise is like the year of premiere. If I gotta go out on a limb and say so. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, being a part, working with Jay Rule, who's a great rapper, working with Nas, who is a great rapper. You got those two. You got Guru, that's your that that's your partner. So yep. one producer working with these three great MCs. I mean, come on. What more do you need? Just man, Premier. That's that's one of the busiest producers I ever heard in my life. <laughs> yeah, man. Like, and then like, mind you, he had a busy 1993 also. So back to back, uh, yeah, years, he was everywhere in that work. Because if Absolutely. you remember, he redu- he produced the entire um, uh, Return of the Boom Bap album for KRS and various other projects, among others. Yes, he did. All Premier right, was so, out there, man. So we're. And then the last thing to touch on, uh, and I know I know T.O. had really wanted to talk about this, so we're going to end the episode on this note. Uh, 1994 was the beginnings of So So Deaf when they released the Bratz album. It funked fine. Well, the funny First, part is when yeah, you look yeah. at So So Deaf, Jermaine Dupri was still out there, but it was not So So Deaf. So this whole time with the crisscross, you know, all that stuff, it was not So So Deaf. Wait, 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 Mac, you said crisscross? <laughs> Everybody clap your hands. <laughs> Chris Cross. <laughs> shout out, shout out, to, and rest in peace too, man. To um, 
No, homeboy from Crisscross, man. Is it Mac Daddy? That's the, that's the one that passed. Oh, one of them. I think yeah. it's Mac Daddy. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, man. But, but yeah, that was yeah, that was big. But the funny part is when social deaf social deaf um formed actually like around '93. Brat was like one of the first hip hop artists to sign, but the but the um R and B was actually Escape. Yeah, Escape came out first. First, yeah. on So so deaf. Dang. Do you remember the name of their debut album? Who Escape? Yeah, Damn. you'll laugh at this because they must have been fans of Das Effects. Humming, coming at you is their debut <laughs> album. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> They should have had Das Effects on there with a title like that, because because of the EPMD song, we know how coming at you. Hey, sometimes we get that influence, it works. Yeah, but the Brat, first female artist to go platinum, and she that album came a contro- that album came a controversy because Snoop said the Brat was biting off of him. Yo, they made fun of the Brat, and and in the in the music video. They had a lookalike to Brett. I'm not even gonna lie, Funkify did sound a little bit, a little bit like like you know, Snoop style. That's all because it was the it was the funk. That's what it was. That and album was is all over. Funk. And she was and, and you could tell like she was influenced by what they were doing because she did use some of it in her raps. And you there's know, certain she, lines that she said that 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 went along with doggy style and, and that's she, the she was the fan. And that's another thing. We talked about both those in the Midwest. We forget Shottown, the, the brass from Shottown. That's so the Midwest was, well, Midwest was cooking them. And it goes with a past episode we talked about with producers and artists. Jermaine Dupree and the Brat are joint at the hip. You oh. can't have one without the other. Jermaine oh. Dupree brought out the best out of the Brat. He gave her the best sound. They were partners. You know, They were more than just you know, producer and artist, they were That's family. And B side. Oh man, yeah, but you had the homeboy big on the B side. You know, uh, another, and even yeah. on even on the single, even on the single Funkified, Jermaine Dupree is on it. He's rapping alongside with the brat. He's introducing her, and mm-hmm. she was just so ill. And and this put a little bit more life in Chicago. Like we already had comics. Because remember, he came out with his Resurrection album in '94, but it started to grow right. more for Chicago. I mean, Twister was already out, obviously. And Common was already out, but now the yeah, brand, you had this, yeah this, this helped Chicago a bit. You had Give It to You and Funkify those singles, man. Mm-hmm. Classic. The B side. All right, so, well, uh, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna wrap things up and uh, we'll go around the room and uh, just give me one word that comes to, the first word that comes to mind when um. When you when you hear 1994 as it relates to hip hop, so QG, you go go first. Essence. Okay. I say essence. 94 is the essence of hip hop. Tio, what about you? Man, it's 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 the piece to hip hop to me. That's just that's just me. I'm just being simple. It's it's the piece to hip hop. And I'm gonna go on and say Renaissance. So. Oh yeah. Because you got things being revived. You got things being put on the map. So I'm going to go with Renaissance. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen out there, this has been another episode of the Rap Lab. Um, we hope you enjoyed. Uh, don't forget, each and every Sunday, um, we on RSS, 
Apple, Spotify, Podbay, and a bunch of other places I've never heard of until we got on there. Um, <laughs> but uh, absolutely, uh, we thank y'all for the support. We'll be back next week, each and every Sunday, uh, on the Rap Lab. We out. Peace. Peace.